You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. With the book of the Bible, James, there are so many things to say, so many things to talk about. Really, it could just be a testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of all the difficulties and, and struggles and troubles in life. And I bet you could all come up here and share parts of your life that would probably start with, these were the best of times, these were the worst of times, and share all the difficulties and hardships, and hopefully share how God got you through it, how uh, you waited it out, how you had faith in God, how you didn't give up your faith in the midst of all the difficulty and tragedy that you had gone through. And sometimes we can blame God for our troubles, for our issues. Sometimes we can blame God and think that God is distant or God doesn't care because He doesn't do what we want when we want Him to. There's times when we pray for things and we want it right now. There's times when we do things impulsively and expect God to to get us out of it. As I've grown older, I think I'm getting wiser uh, by trusting God and uh, trusting in what the Bible has to say and also just in the common wisdom uh, of gaining knowledge that it led to experience that then changes what I choose to do and what I choose not to do. Like over the years, I've become better at driving in bad weather conditions. So um, I've learned, you know, through a bunch of different vehicles and trucks and experiences and stuff like that, how to be a better driver. As a matter of fact, I take the auto four-wheel drive off and I take the traction control off and just go with pure four-wheel drive because if it starts to slide, I I know how to power slide and control it, and I don't need the vehicle to try to, you know, shut all that down for me because I don't know what to expect from it. So I'm better at it, and because I'm better at it, because I've had experiences before, I do it a lot less. That means that I look at the weather forecast and I say, oh, look, bad weather, I really don't need to go, as opposed to when I was young that said, bad weather, one foot of snow, let's go out there and play in the snow, and if we get stuck, who cares? Now it's like, uh, no. Let's not do that. Before it used to be, oh, drive through deep water with a truck. That would be awesome. How fun is that? And then you replace your front wheel bearings or your wheel bearings and all the other stuff that goes with that. And then you, with wisdom and experience, stop doing that. But James is going to talk to us about how to be faithful in troubles and difficulties, in tests and temptations. And we're going to talk about how to turn our troubles into joy. So that doesn't mean that we uh, never have any trouble. That means that when trouble comes our way, we have the right response. When trouble comes our way, we choose to uh, focus on uh, the opportunity that it presents itself, and we choose to focus on asking, you know, what could God do through this? How could God uh, increase my faith through this? What could God be doing through this difficulty, this sickness, this bill, uh, this, this trouble. And sometimes when trouble comes our way and it's totally our fault, we have nobody to blame but ourselves because we reap what we sow and we still cry out to God and He can still help us. And there's other times when we go through really hard things and it's totally not our fault. We didn't do anything that we can identify to cause this problem or to be you know, victims of this problem or all these difficulties. And we wonder, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? But then we look at our lives. And we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, you know, life is short, right? So 
Uh, there's, there's trials and difficulties for a period of time, but actually uh, life seems to be getting longer for a lot of people. I was just reading the other day that the number of seniors in the workforce is increasing, and there's a record number of folks 85 and older that are still working, including, I thought this was pretty crazy, uh, the 2016 Census Bureau says there's between 1,000 and 3,000 U.S. truckers aged 85 or older. That's crazy. I know, right? But they say, you know, technology has made things less labor-intensive, and the quality of life and the health has often gotten better. So uh, again, you know, this isn't like every 85-year-old person is working, but all these people are working. It says that uh, many of these older people are musicians, people that work in funeral homes, product demonstrators you see at warehouse, club stores, uh, all those things. So life is getting longer. And so whatever age we are, you know, if we're 30 or 50 or 60 or whatever, uh, we could still have 25 years worth of service in us, 25 years worth of uh, doing something worthwhile. And we should think about, you know, how can we make life better around us? So that old saying, you know, bloom where you're planted. You ever heard that one? To think, okay, God has me in this place at this time. So what does he want me to do? How does he want me to serve him? If you're working at this job, and uh, you'd like to have a different job, but this is the job you have now. What can you do to honor God, bless your employer, share Christ with those people around you? What can you do to make a difference? I mean, some people, they say, well, I'm just going to retire. You know, I'm going to work my job, and I'm going to retire. And then the question is, then what? And a lot of people don't have a then what. Some people have a list. Some people have like a honey-do list. You know, well, then I'm going to fix the house, and I'm going to fix the car, and then I'm going to fix this and that, and play some golf, and Question is, then what? You're not going to have a satisfying life for, you know, 20 more years if you're just sitting around doing nothing. And I don't believe that God has actually called us to stop serving him at a certain age unless for some reason we're losing our mind or losing our strength. And even if you've lost your ability uh, to be physical and to to get out and about, you can still pray if you've still got your mind. Uh, I remember some of the older ladies in the church I served at before, this one lady is like, keep praying. This one lady says, I I keep praying that God would allow, even if my body goes, that God would allow me to keep my mind so that I can serve him uh, for all my days. So James talks a lot about troubles and difficulties. uh, Stephen's been persecuted. James is a leader in the church. He's got some authority because he's Jesus' half-brother. Some of the things he says or the stories or analogies he uses even sounds like Jesus. So he is able to humbly call himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James has some stuff that he wants to share, some things that can transform our lives, things that show that uh, our faith should lead to works and that temptation and trials can be good for our Christian lives. So, all right, number one, we can turn our troubles into deeper faith. All right, so James, a brother of Jesus, writes, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's humble. He's saying that I'm a servant of God. I am a servant of my brother who happens to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is totally committed to living for Jesus. Writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters. So this is who the letter is from. So these letters in the Bible, they actually in the front tell you who they're from. When we write letters, we always put it at the end. You know, like write the stuff and then sincerely uh, fill in your name. Sincerely, Chris, I wrote that. 
But in the beginning, it starts out and it says, this letter is from, and this one's from, James. And he writes, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So when trouble comes your way, he's trying to teach us a way to deal with it. And I'm actually going to save that point until the end. But joy is a great way to look at trouble. When uh, sometimes when I come into trouble, I kind of go, oh, joy, you know, like, oh, look at all that ice. There's four inches underneath the trailer tongue and someone's going to have to jack that up and clean that up. I guess that's going to have to be me. Oh, joy. Or I drop the remote and the clicker doesn't work. Oh, joy. But actually, good can come of it. And actually, when we're doing the right thing at the right time, when we're serving the Lord, when we're faithful in the little things and we choose not to get angry, that honors and glorifies God. And it can bring joy in our lives. So I'm going to save that point for last. Then he writes, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So when our faith is tested, so God doesn't tempt, but he allows tests. We look at the book of Job and we see how Job was tested in his faith. And when our faith is tested, it shows if we're truly Christ followers or not. When our faith is tested, it shows that we are committed to Christ. Uh, I don't know what they do now. If they don't know if they value $20 bills anymore. But I remember that they used, to, they used to take $20 bills and they'd have like a special marker. I don't know if they still do that. I know they do it with like $100 bills. I like look at them to make sure they're real. They take the special marker to make sure it's a real 20 and not a counterfeit one. And when our faith is tested, it's a way to prove if we're truly in Christ, a way to truly have faith, or if our faith is counterfeit. It's interesting that there's a lot of Christian kids growing up in the church, and they say they're Christians. They say, you know, they say all the right things to their parents, but when they get out on, the, on their own, they supposedly lose their faith when they're in college. But actually, a lot of times, if they went from the parents' house and then lost their faith while they were in college, they probably never had their own faith to begin with. They had an assimilated faith, a cultural faith, their parents' faith. They wanted to be people pleasers, make sure their kids, or make sure that the, the parents heard them saying the right thing so that they would uh, enjoy their favor. And then they get out on their own and then they do their own thing and they don't really have their own faith. And I, uh, um, this Christian uh, youth ministry leader at Crown College many years ago was saying that a lot of kids go through uh, spiritual adolescence, that uh, they, they uh, grow up in the church and they hear uh, how you're supposed to live the Christian life, and then they sometimes question that. Sometimes they uh, even rebel against that, or they want to do their own thing. He said he'd much rather have his kid do that while, he was, while the kid was in his house than away at college or living on his own or her own, because it's much easier to talk to the child than to, uh, to deal with it at that time. And so... Is your faith genuine? When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. There are a lot of things that can test our faith. So difficulty can test our faith. Death of a loved one, when your child dies, when your sister, brother, parent, uh, death is something that tests your faith, especially when there's no reason for it. Um, you know, when someone's hit with an illness that, you, that wasn't expected, when someone is in a car accident and they die suddenly, or they, they like fall and hit their head, or uh, all these different things. You know, there's a huge, we could just talk all day about all the different terrible things that can test our faith. But when our faith is tested, when we go through the hard times, and we all will, just like snowstorms in life, there's always going to be another storm coming. 
uh, our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. So let it, let it grow. Let it per- persevere. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our Savior. We are in the process of becoming like Jesus. And as we go through these difficult times, as we go through these hard times, we call out in faith to God in the, fa- in the difficulties that we have and the sadness that we have, and we often don't understand. And I can't tell you a reason for all the th- bad things that you've gone through. I don't think anybody can tell you, oh, God did this so that you do that, or your, your brother died or your child died so that you would be more compassionate so you could help others that are going through that situation. That might be a result of what you went through, but that might not be the reason. And sometimes we'll have to wait until we're on the other side in heaven and ask the Lord, why did we go through that? Why did we suffer through that? Why did we experience this difficulty, this hardship? But no matter what, during the test, we need to be faithful. During the test, we need to choose to do what's right. One commentary says, we cannot really know our depth until we see how we react under pressure. Diamonds are coal subjected to intense pressure over a period of time. Without pressure, coal remains coal. The testing of your faith is the combined pressure that life brings to bear on you. Perseverance is the intended outcome of this testing. So we go through these hard things, but as we go through them and we're faithful to the Lord, as we go through those experiences, it makes us deeper Christians. It makes us more faithful Christians. It helps us the next time a situation comes or a difficulty comes to trust God and not fret and not run around and not panic, but say, well, the Lord's allowing me to go through this for some reason, and I'm going to pray and ask Him to help me and, and see where it ends up, see what, see what God has. Sometimes you find out that you've gone through hard things, and then something good has happened because, it, because of it. Uh, sometimes a person gets cancer, a person of faith gets cancer, and they share their faith with the doctors and the nurses and the people doing the chemotherapy and all that other stuff. And they become missionaries to the medical people because of their faith. The medical people see them going through all these difficulties and hardships and sickness and side effects, yet they're still calling out and being faithful to Jesus, and that affects people. Uh, Sometimes you go through a hardship, a financial difficulty or whatever, because God is trying to move you into a job change. I read a story of a missionary couple that they didn't really want to commit to go be missionaries. They, They considered it. They started to get trained up for it, but they just wouldn't leave. They wanted to stay where they were at. You know, the kids were in good schools. Everything was comfortable. And then their house caught on fire, and they lost everything. And in the rebuilding process, they said, you know what? Since we don't have anything anymore, let's go be missionaries. And they did. And they served the Lord as missionaries. Is it sad they lost a lot of all their stuff? Of course. Did they lose valuables they could never replace? Most likely. Uh, when they look back at their life and how it has been spent in all eternity, uh, when they look back at how they served as missionaries, finally, I bet they'll be pleased that God upset their life and moved them where they needed to be. heard another story of a guy that prayed and prayed for a bigger paycheck, and then he lost his job, and he's like, great, God, what am I going to do now? And then because he lost his job, he was able to get a better job, which was a better paying job, which was exactly what he needed. But uh, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When you go through troubles, your faith can grow deeper. When you ask God why, he may not answer right away, but when you trust him, he might show you. He might not show you exactly 
why he did it or why he allowed it. I mean, just think of all the things that God could totally change. I mean, an ice jam on Sand Creek, God could have like just a little puff of wind and blown that thing apart, and, but he didn't, and those people are struggling with flooding. Uh, all these difficulties that we go through life, we don't know, but this world is full of troubles. Uh, God, his mind isn't like our mind, his ways aren't like our ways, Isaiah 55 says that, but turn troubles into deeper faith. So when your faith is tested, be faithful, show up to the test, and look at the opportunity and say, all right, God, what are we doing here? How can you teach me? How can I be faithful? What do you want from me? How can you help me? Number two, take your troubles to find wisdom. Take your troubles to find wisdom from the Lord. So when you have troubles, ask the Lord for wisdom. So James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So wisdom is the ability to uh, take knowledge, a God-given ability to rightly apply knowledge. Uh, Wisdom is the information that we need from God to live a godly life and to be successful in life and to accomplish His purposes in our life. It is a great thing when you ask God for wisdom in the midst of your circumstances, when you ask God for wisdom, when you come to a work problem or you're trying to figure out what to do with your life or you're just feeling unhappy or unsettled or bored in life to ask God what it is that you could do. And often, He's already given you the answer in His Word and you just need to rearrange your priorities and put God first. But many times, God will give you wisdom and knowledge and I've did this at work before, <clears throat> and I hope you do too, but this is a great example of asking God for help when you need it. So when you're going through trouble, ask God for wisdom. Uh, when you're looking to be successful in life, ask God for wisdom. Craig Larson shares the following story about the power of prayer on his website. Last night, a woman in our church told how God had just given her success on a large, important project at work. She is a website architect working for a big downtown bank. She was hired specifically to upgrade their site's interface for those with disabilities. But everyone with whom she directly worked told her, you can't do this. You will fail. You don't have the necessary intelligence for this. And she agreed. She didn't know how to do it. No one knew how to do what the bank was asking. One technician told her he could not do in a year even part of what the company was asking to be done in six months. These were uncharted waters. She feared what would happen if she failed. She would lose her job. Uh, or would she, maybe she would have to move away if she failed. So she called out to God all day long, every day. She prayed fervently over every detail, every web page, every line of code. She literally wept and prayed. She felt small and vulnerable. But she also had fierce conviction that God was great enough to help her with an impossible job. She kept crying out to God day after day, planning functionalities, writing code, telling her team of developers what to do. Day after day, she received wisdom for one piece of the project after another. Every step and idea was a discovery. Week after week, one piece, one page, one functionality of the website after another came together. Months passed and the progress continued. The hand of God was upon her and he blessed her entire team. With the deadline approaching, they were ready to release their work. They were ready to go live with approximately 80 new web pages of cutting-edge technology on the day of release, they discovered one minor problem. 
just one easily fixed bug, but that everything else worked flawlessly. And God cares about everything you do. God cares about every part of you. He's given you work as a gift. He's given you the opportunity to come to troubles and challenges and ask Him for help and then to find ways around that. Sometimes you will have the wisdom and ability to come alongside somebody that's having a struggle or having a difficulty, and you, because of what God has taught you in the past, will be able to come alongside those people and say, you know, if you want my advice, I'd say you should do this and not that, and you should trust on this and wait on that, and as you go through life, you will have more and more of those experiences, and if I had time, I could share many of them. But you don't want to be double-minded. You don't want to ask God and then say, I can't trust God. I've got to do it on my own. When you come to troubles, you want to ask God and believe that He is hearing, that He will answer, that you need to be patient and wait and watch. And He can do so many things if you would ask Him. And I think that one reason why He wants you to have faith in asking is because when He gives you what you need, He doesn't want you to run around and say, wow, I am pretty smart. Or, wow, I guess I'm more gifted than I thought. Instead, he wants you to give him the glory for it, and he wants you to have that experience as your Heavenly Father to know that, no, you didn't do that on your own. I did that through you. I gave you what you asked, and God gets the glory for that. Trust that God can use your circumstances, your circumstances in life. So some of you might be rich, and we have no clue. Some of you might look rich, but you might be in more debt than any of us. Some people have lots of stuff, and they hoard it for themselves. Other people have lots of resources, and they use it for God's glory. So you can't fault the rich person for being rich. It all depends on what they do with it. You can't fault the poor person for being poor because there's people that do work hard, but they don't get a very big paycheck because there's people who have chosen to work in areas that don't pay a lot, but they're still working. Uh, Sometimes I wonder about the poor people who refuse to work that just want to sit around and do nothing uh, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So I don't think the text is talking about this, but James 1, 9 through 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements." So where James was living, where this was written, uh, often the rain would come and the desert flowers would bloom and then the sun would come and then they would die. And the same is true with rich people. Um, They can't trust in their riches, but they do. And I think that's one of the reasons why they suffer to find Christ. Because the poor person says, I don't have anything. All I can do is trust in God. I can't charge it to my credit card. I can't take it out of my savings account. I can't fix this. There's nothing I can do. I totally can't afford this. All I can do is trust God. Lord, please help me. The poor person cries out. The rich person says, well, I don't really need your help, God, because I've got this much in savings and I've got this many resources and I've got rich relatives. I can handle this. And they're much less likely to call out to God and totally miss what he could do in their life. They're much less likely to humble themselves. Matthew 19, Jesus told the rich young man, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Does that mean we're supposed to all, you know, sell all of our possessions and give to the poor? No, but I think that what this person's problem was is his riches were in the way. He wouldn't be a faithful, effective servant of Jesus because he was all tied into his stuff. And again, you can have a lot of stuff and a lot of resources and use it for God's glory. But then again, you can have a lot of resources and a lot of stuff that totally consumes your life and keeps you from the life the Lord has for you. 
We are told to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time in 1 Peter 5, 6. And in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we need to have faith. We need to have faith to live the way that God wants us to live and to fulfill his purposes in our life. We need to evaluate the things in our life and see, okay, does all of the, all this stuff, does it tempt me and keep me from serving God or trusting God? Or does it help me to be more effective in serving the Lord? Can we humble ourselves? Can we humble ourselves and say, yeah, I, I am of greater social class and I have more money and I, I live in a nicer neighborhood, but can you come alongside another brother or sister in Christ in church that might not have anything and come alongside them as peers, as brothers or sisters in Christ and serve the Lord together and not be divided or um, think that you're more important than another because the Lord honors that. And then time enduring can lead to blessing and reward. And I'm going to talk about this more next week. But God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So I'm going to start there next week. We like, a lot of us, we like challenges. So remember when you were a kid and you do the tug, did you ever do the tug of war? You would do that because it was fun, right? You didn't like step up to the rope and think, oh, do I have to do this? Unless you're in gym class and you hated it. But it was a challenge and you would do all that you could. And sometimes, you know, people on the other side, they just pull on the rope really hard and your whole team would just, you know, fall into the pit or the water or whatever. And it wasn't fair. But uh, that'd be like when you put the, you know, fourth graders against the fifth graders or something like that, or the guys against the girls or something like that. And other times it was a struggle and uh, you pulled and you pulled and you just knew that if you held on long enough, the other team would lose their grip. And so we like these struggles. We like these difficulties. We come to these opportunities a lot of times and we're like, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, I could take a, if you're rich, I could take a helicopter to the top of the mountain, but hey, I want to climb it because I want to see if I can do it and it'd be a great adventure. That would be fun or you race against people, or you race against yourself, or you set impossible goals or whatever, because that's exciting. We can train ourselves to see that troubles can lead to joy. Just like we're coming to these opportunities for competitions or whatever, we can see the trouble coming or the test coming and look at it and say, all right, all right, I don't know what's going on here, but I think this is a test. I think that God is allowing me to go through this test to see what I'm going to do. I could, I could go two ways with this. I could go my way, which is like the highway. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to be tested. Or I could go God's way and see what, what, what's here. I want to glorify God in, in whatever I go through. Dear brothers and sisters, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What is joy? Joy is a deep sense of well-being that may at the same time embrace sorrow, tears, laughter, anger, pain. Joy is more a decision than a feeling. It is choosing to live above feelings but not deny them. It is not intense happiness, although choosing joy sometimes produces happiness. Joy is a particularly Christian response to life since it depends on faith in God's sovereignty. It is quiet and grateful and it inwardly delights in the goodness of God. So when hard times come, choose that deep sense of well-being. I know from experience, the greatest things that you would never hope to happen to you have happened to my wife and I. I was losing a, losing a son. Um, and to not understand why and to question what if we did these things differently, but just to trust that God's in control, that God still loves us, that God still has a plan for us, that God's still working things out in our life. And 
and our other children and grandchildren and the people around us. And yes, we can use that for a platform to connect with other people. Yes, we can experience uh, people's pain in a deeper way and have thoughts that we didn't used to have before. Like one, I'm going to close with this one thought that I had that I realized that I had changed. So the idea of testing, drug testing people before they get food stamps or before they get food. You know, before I'm like, oh, that would be great, you know. Those drug addicts, you know, they're making some really bad choices, so they just stop and then they'll get some food. So all I have to do is just just stop. But now we know that's a mental illness, it's an addiction, you just don't stop. So my thought was, is that would be great to test them before they get their food or their food stamps or whatever. And if they test positive to get them to, to support their family and get them in a program and to help them break that addiction and to help them to change and still give them some food. And probably they're trying to get food for their family anyway. But just that whole change of mindset, that compassion. I think it's 2 Corinthians uh, 1 that talks about the God of compassion. Uh, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the same compassion we've received. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you've given us your word. And Lord, I don't feel I did it justice because there's so much we could say about what James said right there. But Lord, we do know that you don't tempt us, but you sometimes test us to see the quality and the depth of our faith. And sometimes we totally fail and there's forgiveness of that. But then we get back up again. Lord, we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we get back up again and then we want to exceed, or succeed the next time to pass the test and to be victorious and to learn what you have for us to learn and that you would give us wisdom. And sometimes in asking for wisdom, the, the greatest question we have is why or what are, we, what are we doing here or what am I supposed to do with this? But Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives. And if there's anybody here that's never received you as their Lord and Savior, uh, that's the first thing, that they would, they would realize that you died on the cross for our sins, you rose again on the third day, that you ascended into heaven and you're returning soon. And they, to be saved, would just have to acknowledge that. And a great way to do that is to pray, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our missions moment is a little bit different this morning. Uh, We're going to see a video. And then I want to pray that God would call out more missionaries. Let's let's, uh, watch a video. Do you know there was only one missionary that was ever honored with a global holiday? Can you guess who that is? Perhaps you will recall it when I say that he is known by his own distinct color, green. Yes, it's St. Patrick, of course, the missionary to Ireland. Patrick was born in AD 373 along the banks of the River Clyde in what is now called Scotland. His father was a deacon and his grandfather a priest. When Patrick was about 16, raiders descended on his little town and burned his home to the ground. When one of the pirates spotted him in the bushes, he was seized, hauled aboard ship, and taken to Ireland as a slave. It was there, while a slave, that he gave his life to the Lord Jesus. 
The Lord opened my mind to an awareness of my unbelief, he later wrote, in order that I might remember my transgressions and turn with all my heart to the Lord my God. Patrick eventually escaped and returned home. His overjoyed family trusted that he would never leave home again. But one night in a dream reminiscent of Paul's vision of the Macedonian man in Acts 16, Patrick saw an Irishman begging him to come and evangelize Ireland. It was not an easy decision, but Patrick, then about 30, returned to his former captors with only one book, the Latin Bible, in his hand. As he evangelized the countryside, multitudes came to listen. The superstitious Druids opposed him and sought many times to put him to death, but his preaching was powerful, and Patrick became one of the most fruitful evangelists of all time, planting about 200 churches and baptizing 100,000 converts. Patrick's answer to God's vision produced a work that endured, and several centuries later, the Irish church was still thriving. People of God there were producing hymns, prayers, sermons, and songs of worship. In the 8th century, an unknown poet wrote a prayer asking God to be his vision, his wisdom, and his best thought by day or night. In 1905, Mary Elizabeth Byrne, a scholar in Dublin, translated this ancient Irish poem into English. Then another scholar, Eleanor Hull of Manchester, England, took Burns' translation and crafted it into verses with rhyme and meter. Shortly afterward, it was set to a traditional Irish folk song, Slain, named for an area in Ireland where Patrick reportedly challenged the local Druids with the gospel. It has become one of our oldest and most moving hymns. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about the crowds and how they're harassed and like sheep without a shepherd. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's what I want to pray for today. Um, my heart has always been missions. That's what I went to school for. Um, the Lord did not allow me to, to go uh, full-time, but he allowed me uh, several uh, short-term missions trips, and I, I enjoyed each one. But what I would pray is that God would send somebody uh, from this church at some point in time, uh, maybe multiple people, into the world to be missionaries for him. And I know it you can happen at any age. It can be all sorts of things. Tom Orham was retiring from insurance when he started the ministry in Chile. So it doesn't have to be young people. It can be anyone. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we recognize that the harvest is plentiful, and Lord, that there's not enough workers out there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to send uh, workers into the field. 
Lord, that you would call some of us, Lord, at whatever age we are at, to go someplace and take the gospel to those who need to hear it. That we would be like uh, St. Patrick, Lord, that we would be willing to go wherever you would send us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.